Reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As you will have gathered already, this is the first in our series on whole life worship. We're basically looking at the fact that worship is not just one aspect of our worship, in other words, just singing songs on a Sunday morning, but it is our whole lives that can be a matter of worship. So today's title is Responding with Everything, and we're going to look at how our worship comes out of God's mercy and how all-encompassing it is. And I've got three headings. Firstly, why do we worship? That's God's mercy. What does our worship involve? Offering our bodies And how should our worship affect us? Transformation. So, why do we worship? Our reading today tells us that we worship because of God's mercy. And the story of God's mercy is outlined in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Let me start with a story that I read recently. This little anecdote takes place in the lifetime of President Franklin D. Roosevelt, and it concerns the church he used to go to in Washington. And one day the telephone in the office of this church rang, and the the rector of the church picked up the phone and heard a voice saying, tell me, do you expect the president to be in church this Sunday? That I cannot promise, the rector replied, but we do expect God to be there, and we fancy that will be incentive enough for a reasonably large attendance. We don't need celebrities in our congregation. God is inherently worthy of our attendance here and our worship. He is our creator. In the beginning, he made us to reflect something of his nature and gave us a special role in an amazing creation. We can see something of his inherent beauty through that very creation. The first sort of two and a half chapters of Romans outlines why we are in need of God's mercy. The bad news is that despite God's creation, humanity hasn't seen fit to worship this God. Or if we have, we put all our energies into worshipping the wrong thing. And we see the consequences of that failure worked out in the world that we live in. We see it in the broken human relationships the damaged planet we live on, but we fundamentally have a broken relationship with our creator. What do we do about this mess? Well, this is where God's mercy comes in. It turns out that it's not us, but God who moves to repair the damage and restore the relationships. And Paul, the writer of the letter to the Romans, devotes the next eight and a half chapters of the book detailing God's plan, a plan that works through the medium of faith, a plan in which God's love is demonstrated through the death of Jesus Christ. 
a plan that makes humanity right with God through that death and through Jesus' resurrection. A plan that goes on to produce real change in the hearts of his people so that they can properly live for God. A plan that brings his sons and daughters to glory. By the time Paul gets to the end of these 11 chapters, he himself is moved to worship as he contemplates the wisdom and purposes and generosity and the glory of God. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Then along comes chapter 12. Therefore, it begins, because of God's mercy, all that Paul's already explained in the first 11 chapters, we should worship. You know, God's mercy doesn't just give us a reason to worship God, but it also enables us to worship God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are able to receive God's Holy Spirit. It is that Spirit through whom God's love is poured into us and by whom we are able to serve him, and by whom we have life, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So why do we worship? Because of God's mercy, which gives us both reason to worship and the power to do so. So, we should worship, but how? What does worship involve? Well, according to our reading, it involves offering our bodies, I urge you, brothers and sisters, writes Paul, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So firstly, worship involves our bodies. It is impossible to express our worship of God without involving some part of our physical being, our hands, our feet, our lungs and voices, our minds, and emotions. We are embodied beings, and even after we die and, and share in the resurrection of Jesus, we still will be embodied beings with our new recreated bodies, and we'll worship God with them. Secondly, worship involves a decision of the will. Our bodies are offered. It is not a passive act, the offering of ourselves is a deliberate response to God's mercy. Thirdly, worship involves sacrifice. It's costly. When the Israelites made a sacrifice to God according to the law, they brought a lamb or a calf or grain or olive oil, and it was from their own flocks or from their own harvest that they gave. It was given over to God. It was given at a cost to themselves. Fourthly, worship is holy and pleasing to God. Again, going back to the Israelites and their sacrifices, the animals that were offered had to be free from blemish. Now, that's not good news for us, for those who are getting on in years and not everything bodily is functioning quite as it should be. But God is looking for something else as we come before him in worship. He's looking for hearts right with him, 
sins confessed, forgiveness sought for the times we have offered our bodies to sinful purposes. Then we can bring ourselves before him, holy and pleasing to God. And finally, and this is the most relevant point for the whole life worship topic, worship is not just about what happens on Sunday. The message paraphrase translation of this verse reads like this. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. What might such worship look like? Well, it's not all about what we do on a Sunday, but let's start by thinking how we might worship more holistically on a Sunday. It might begin with how we prepare to come to meet with God and our brothers and sisters in, in, this, in this building. What are our expectations as we come? For some, an act of worship might just be the decision of the will to make it here when we don't feel like it. An act of worship, an offering of our bodies, might be in praying that we meet with God as we take part in the service. It might be offering up a practical act of service during our time together, like serving the tea or coffee, or running the audio, or the projection system, or the Zoom systems. And I just know how hard that can be. I was just thinking of Paul Martin earlier on, who's missing a lead and trying to get this projector to work and that that doesn't enable that doesn't make worship easy it is a sacrifice sometimes it could be a determination to be fully present in the songs of praise and worship or to be listening for God's voice in the liturgy it could be coming here with the attitude of seeking to bless someone after the service by listening or by sharing some experience that we've had of God then outside of Sunday worship, our whole lives have the potential for worship. We might worship by deciding to take an unpleasant or tedious everyday task and do it with more grace and cheerfulness as we seek to do it as if we're doing it for the Lord. It might be in looking for new opportunities to develop relationships with people outside of church in order to demonstrate God's love. It might be in praying for opportunities to share the hope that we have as we go about our everyday business, as we meet with friends and family. It might be offering our work day to God as we commute to work. All of these have the potential for us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. God grant us the heart to seek and see these opportunities. Finally, how should worship affect us? Be transformed, we are told, by the renewing of your mind. Worship should end up transforming us. Another paraphrase version, the J.B. Phillips Bible, translates verse 2 like this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould, but let God remould your minds from within, so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal 
of true maturity. The world conforms us to itself or squeezes us into its own mould. It does so through the media, through the attitudes and beliefs of our families and friends, through what is taught at school and university, and powerfully through the medium of social media. Worshipping God is a practice that transforms or remoulds our minds from within. It does so as we learn about the nature of this God that we worship. It does so as we express what we know of him through song and prayer and liturgy. It does so as we express what we believe about God through our actions. That's how we test and approve what God's perfect will is as we put our beliefs into practice. How does this work? Let me just take as an example the subject of wealth. Some might argue that our attitude to wealth is a telling indicator of our worship of God. So, the mould that the world might want to squeeze us into is to seek security in wealth. It might encourage us to become more selfish in our attitudes to money as we pull up the financial drawbridges around our lives and ensure that we have all we need for our every eventuality. The world's attitude to wealth moulds us to rely on it more than we rely on God. For others, for whom financial security is an impossible dream, the lesson that the world teaches might just be a lesson of despair or perhaps a lesson that we should live for today without any thought for the future. As Christians, we worship a God who is generous, a God who knows our needs and wants to provide, a God who hates injustice, a God who wants us to trust him as an integral part of our Christian lives. These are the things that should be transforming our minds. Our acts of worship might be in learning to be generous through giving. It might be holding our wealth on an open hand, seeking to make Jesus Lord of this aspect of our lives. It might be in seeking God's wisdom as we learn to manage what we have in a way that is pleasing to him. A godly attitude to wealth is a sure way to test and approve what God's good, pleasing and perfect will is. At this point, I really should share an example of what kind of transformations happened in my own life as I've learned to worship God rightly. But I'm ashamed to admit that I've struggled to come up with anything that links those two things. And perhaps that's because my concept of worship is too tied to what happens here on a Sunday morning. That's a real challenge to my thinking. The next four sessions of this series are in fact largely about how our worship transforms us, helping us to see the world differently, helping us to understand our identity, helping us to reshape our speech and helping us to deepen our love for God and for one another. So having that to look forward to, I'll finish here with a prayer. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, Although humanity has not sought to worship you as you deserve, you have sought to bring us back into relationship with you through the Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you give us more than enough reason to worship you, but also the power to worship you through your Spirit. Help us to worship you with our whole lives 
as we offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Help us to see where we conform to the pattern of this world and transform us more and more into your likeness. May we know the joy of testing and approving that your will is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen. We're going to carry on in prayer now with a reflective prayer that takes up the themes and there's a response at the end of each section. I'll try and read it reasonably slowly to give you a chance to actually think about what we're praying. Father God, we reflect on your mercy. We consider the forgiveness you have granted us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We know we were bought at a price. In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. We pray for the grace and strength to offer our all, the tasks we complete, the relationships we value, the activities we enjoy and the possessions we own. Help us to glorify you with all these things. In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. We pray that you would renew our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be wary of conforming to the patterns of this world. Make us watchful to see what is shaping our view of the world. In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. Finally, we pray for help to know your will. Give us a discerning spirit to know, whether at home, at work, or wherever we are, what your good, pleasing, and perfect will might be. In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen.